So it's more been about my own change, uh, the perception of what I do, that I did, I don't, not embarrassed, that's never been the word, but lesser, maybe, yeah. um, was a feeling that I allowed into myself, self-doubt from. Like you didn't belong in some way. You know, I, I didn't belong or I hadn't accomplished. From Fiori Communications, it's How I Got Here, a show of inspiring stories from Tallahassee area leaders, business owners, and neighbors, all the challenges, opportunities, inspirations, the twists and turns of life that led them to where they are today. Everyone has a story worth telling, and I am really grateful that we get to bring a few of them to you. I truly have been changed by my conversations with these amazing people, and I'm confident you will be too. I'm Dave Fiore, and in this episode, I speak with Danny Shrine, a co-owner of Full Press Apparel with his wife Tracy and father of two sons, who has taken an unconventional path to his position as a respected leader in the community. A college career that looked different and took much longer than expected led to business opportunities and eventually a platform from which he is helping others who share the challenges he faced. From screen printing t-shirts to building access ramps for those in need, Danny has always valued working with his hands to make a difference and being part of something bigger than himself. We start by discussing how Danny would describe himself today. I'm a small business owner, a father of two, try to be a good friend to the people I'm friends to, try to be a good boss to the people that work for the company, and try to be a good uh, good neighbor in our community. It's become something that uh, is very rewarding and fulfilling from the work and the life that we have and kind of how I try to go about my days. You know, it's an ideal. We all fall a little bit short of our ideals from time to time, but, you know. <laughs> I don't. I always hit mine 100%. Well, you need to aim higher then. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah. Um, you know, so. So you grew up in Orange Park, right? I grew up in Orange Park BOP. outside of Jacksonville. Yeah. You know, the, the home of strip malls and waffle houses. <laughs> uh, but it was, it was a different place when I was there. Uh come from a Navy family. My dad was a pilot in the Navy, and we moved there um, before I turned two. I was born in Virginia, but we moved there, and it was his last station flying out of Cecil Field. So Orange Park was kind of a backwater. Blaney Boulevard, anybody's familiar with, was a one-lane road. Now yeah, it's, it's you crazy. Know, a nightmare. But it was, you know, it was fun. It was a cool place to grow up. A lot of kids. Uh, things were still being developed, so we had a lot of woods and dirt tracks and things like that around our house where we could just run out, get in trouble, you know, have fun, be boys, play sports, ride our bikes, that kind of stuff. So you, there were seven kids in your family. Seven kids. Right. So big family. Big family. Um, what was that like? How did you like having a lot of siblings? Uh, was, you know, it was kind of chaos on the one hand. Our, um, our family dynamic was interesting in that there were five brothers and sisters that were all born within eight years. And that was kind of like the first wave. And then there was an eight-year gap, and surprise, <laughs> um, I was born, and then my younger brother was born just just over two years after me. So we were kind of like a separate family entity. Gotcha. Like I said, they moved that Navy life, that military life. But I was born when he was near the end of his career. We moved to, you know, essentially to, to Jacksonville, Orange Park, when I was two, and we never moved again. That's the house I moved out of, same house, before I moved to Tallahassee. 
So my brother and I grew up in a kind of different environment. We'd always rearrange the rooms as somebody moved out. Like that meant the oldest person didn't have to share anymore, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. No more bunk beds with the brothers and things like that. Um, so, it was, you know, but it was interesting. There was always uh, always a lot of dynamics in a family like that. Yeah. Um, and I have six kids, so I, <laughs> I know what that's like to a certain degree. So you had less of a typical um, military kind of lifestyle as a kid because you stayed in one place. Um, you didn't do the you know the usual moving around and everything. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I said I grew up in Orange Park, lived there until I moved here. But my parents got divorced when I was like in first grade, and my dad lived in the area for a while, and then moved to Pensacola. So we didn't have the typical moving around thing, but I kind of had a part time because he's a Navy pilot, Captain Shrine. You go over to Pensacola, and, and it's a big deal. And he was still very enmeshed in the military lifestyle. I mean, he was Captain Shrine until the day he died. So it would be officers club. And I don't think we ever ate a meal with him that there wasn't a tablecloth set oh, wow. at the table. You know, he, he'd grown up in a different environment, but really aspired to that and was part of his identity. Uh, so very structured, strict, I mean, kind of all those stereotypes? All, all those stereotypes, you know. Yes, uh, sir, that kind of stuff? Yes, sir, no, sir. And then even in that, the Naval aviators have a certain sense of pride about their own self-worth, and, uh, right. and and they don't let that go, in my experience. And so, you know, well, we're talking Top Gun here, right? That kind of deal. Yeah, that kind of deal. Not uh, fighter jets, but he was like a submarine hunter, right? And that was his thing. I remember there was a this plaque that he had that was kind of the embodiment of his life. If you ain't a tail hooker, you ain't shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a. Uh, Spoke to the thing that grabbed the arresting wire on an aircraft carrier. Right. And, you know, so in, in ways for his peers, that was a thing. But I think the second part of that kind of applied to everybody else. Right. So it was like the military thing and all that. And, you know, you got to be Captain Shrine's son over in Pensacola. But back home in Orange Park, it was different. It was me and my little brother being raised by a single mom in the 70s and 80s. And, uh, you know, it was, it was different. We didn't realize maybe the challenges we were having, except in retrospect. Right. Um, you know, but to go from white linen cloths to, you know, getting the reduced lunch plan at school because we were basically growing up in a much different economic environment. Yeah, that must have been that's a big difference to go back and forth. Where you did you visit your dad a lot? No, not a lot. We um you know, times in the summer, things like that. And then even then he still continued to work and was career oriented. So we'd have a great time with his – he ended up getting married to another woman over there. We had a great time with her. Karen would take us like – we'd go out blue crab fishing and the haunted uh, lighthouse that's a Pensacola Naval Air Station to checking out the water park or whatever it be. She was like real active and involved. And so when my brother and I would go over, it was doing stuff with her and her kids, which ironically or you know coincidentally, Tallahassee being what it is, I've become friends again with the guy that used to be my stepbrother back – in the 80s when my dad was married to his mom, then they split. And Jay and I have, like, reconnected now. It's like, wait, you're, you're that guy. You're that – you know, and we've, like, <laughs> reconnected and have become friends and see each other, like, around FSU sports and oh, that's really around cool. town. All right. So you and, and your mom and your little brother in Orange Park. So what, what, what did your mom do? How did she support your family? The job that I remember the most that was really interesting was um, she worked at Pick and Save – which was like a 
a rich man's Kmart or a poor man's Sears, you know, <laughs> right. Like, right there. Um, but she worked for American Greetings, like greeting cards. Oh. And her job was to go and like, fill up the cards and know where the birthday cards went and the yeah. anniversary cards and the seasonal cards. And it was like right in this little cutout. So she would take us to work from time to time, you know, and we'd sit there and be reading like Mad Magazine or like <laughs> wrestling comics. And here's, you know, like Gordon Soley, look at this match or whatever it would be while she was going all through that and keeping everything arranged and you know, the, the right envelopes with the right cards because they were all sized out, everything like that. Um, and then she ended up working at Sears and she was in the in the HR department there. Okay. Um, now, my sisters were around, to, you know, like everybody kind of, like I said, was aging out. But um, I had two older sisters because it was three boys and then two girls and then that gap. And so my older sisters were still around a lot too. So okay. it was kind of like being raised by a single mom and then my sisters were, were also very influential and helpful with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, she struggled. She had, her career had been Navy wife, you know, she had been 50% of the, of the family and the, you know, the domestic part. It's necessary to rise in the ranks of the military. Sure. Um, and then when it was over, you know, they split. Yeah. Um, so the the options were a little more limited. And then she had some – she was a smoker. And she, uh, she started getting sick and had um, debilitative disease, emphysema, or COPD. Right. They call it. And, um you know, so that limited her physically after she kind of spent the career as a Navy wife. And then, you know, here she is in her, nearing her 50s and um, and she was sick. So that kind of limited what she could do as well. Right. So um, what what were your favorite things to do as a kid other than staying out until it was dark? Yeah, that I mean, that was it. We um, you know, played sports a lot. We rode down to the ballpark, played uh, baseball, soccer. I mean, riding our bikes was everything. Yeah, video games was a, was a big deal. That was just coming up watching uh, watching Stranger Things with the kids. You know, my, <laughs> my boys love that, and I'm like, right. dudes, you're watching my. That's my. That's life. my. That's you know, like minus the kids, supernatural part. Yeah, other than the you know the, the upside, upside down, down thing. Yeah, that, other than that, it was exactly <laughs> the same. But you know, I mean, I I remember being able to go to the rec room arcade. You yeah. know, and for five dollars, you could play all day long. It was all they would turn on the all you could play. And it would just be, you know, boyhood bliss, little 10, 12-year-olds yeah. just doing that. Um, you know, and then we did normal neighborhood mischief. They may not be pissed if there were kids in the neighborhood doing that kind of <laughs> stuff. I mean, I can't imagine walking out. Just I would lose it if I walked out one day and my trees were just teepeed with, you know, like, right. please, stupid kids, get off my yard, <laughs> you know. So for high school, you ended up going to a private Catholic school in Jacksonville. In Jacksonville, yeah, Bishop, yeah, Bishop Kenny. Right. So that which was it was ironic because I grew up like right next to Orange Park High School, and out of seven kids, I was the only one that didn't. Um, so why was that? I, you know, I kind of wasn't applying myself really well uh, in middle school, and after seventh grade, I missed the mark on a couple classes, and my mom's like, "Nope." You know, like you got to go somewhere with more discipline, and uh, she got me to go to Blessed Heart or Sacred Heart. That's what it was called, Sacred Heart Middle School. So I went there for eighth grade, and then she, um, she and my dad agreed 
that they'd arrange it for me to go to Bishop Kenny and that it would just be a better environment where I'd be driven a little harder and probably left a little bit less to my own lazy inclinations, um, which worked out just fantastically for me. I wasn't certainly wasn't excited at the time to be going for you probably didn't know anybody at first, right? Just, yeah, some kid. I mean, there were people from March Park that were there. Because Bishop Kenny was the only Catholic school in the area at the okay. time, and it drew in people from everywhere. But it was a good experience for you. It was, it was a good a four years. Great four years. You know, it's great. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be where I am without it. Okay. Yeah, because a know. lot of I mean, if kids, you know, take it out of your neighborhood, ship you across, you know, the bridge. I can see some kids could have reacted like, "Man, this." This is not what I want. But it sounds like you took it as an opportunity to do better and step up. It sounds like that's what you did. Yeah, somewhat, eventually. You know, <laughs> Probably eventually. not day one. Not No, not day one, not year one. Um, but definitely as I, you know, as I grew and as I matured, I mean, one, I never really considered that there was an alternative. So this is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. High school is a good experience. And then you you come to Tallahassee. To go to TCC? No, that's not directly how it happened. Okay. So in high school, I was in Navy ROTC. All right. So um, – which was, again, a, a great experience. That's – Was that part of the agreement or is that something you wanted to do? A bit of both. OK. There was an encouragement. Encourage. Um, a parental but it was encouragement. A, par- a parental encouragement. It would be great out of respect. But, so um, – but it turned out to be awesome. There were these uh, – Two guys ran the program, uh, Captain Farley and Senior Chief Scotes, and they were uh, just great men and really dedicated to teaching us about leadership, responsibility, accountability. I mean, I still to this day use things that I mean, like I repeat things that they told me. So it's you know it was great, and um, so I planned on being in the Navy. Oh, now, you're talking about real Top Gun because yeah. that was you know like in the '80s, and you know here you go. I graduated high school in '89, and that's when I moved here. So the person that ran the ROTC program, the Navy ROTC program at FAMU, had been a friend of my dad's in the Navy, Captain Logan, and he recruited me to come over here because we would come compete in field days, and yeah, know, do, I was a drill team commander, you know, marching with the rifles and all that, and nice. Um, and so we got to know each other, and he took an interest in how things were going for me and recruited me to come over here. And I was like, well, Captain Logan, I was going to go to Auburn, and I don't, I don't want to go to FAMU. He's like, no, you'll go to FSU. You'll be just enrolled in the program, and I've got these five scholarships that I have to give out to qualified applicants. And so it sounded great. You know? yeah. uh, I had friends here. It was between where I grew up and where my dad was, so – you know, it, was, it was, seemed to make a lot more sense, and I came over that summer um, after graduating to get all that set up, and Captain Logan informed me that the needs of the Navy had changed, and I oh, wasn't wow. part of their future, or, or the scholarships weren't going to be awarded to – I wasn't going to be eligible for a scholarship anymore. I could join the program. And, well, that was had to yeah. be disappointing. It was – It was. yeah, it was, a, you know um, – I mean, that's kind of a life-changing thing for you. It was life-changing. It kind of put me into a little bit of a tailspin yeah. that I I had a certain expectation of what things were going to be. But I you know, I recovered. I was like, well, okay, here I am. And I was like, so does that mean I'm not enrolled at FSU either? And that's how I ended up at TCC. Okay. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I got to drive across town, go, you know. I had an apartment, had a girlfriend, had a, you know, like 
everything I owned was put in the garbage bags and brought over. So I had to make I mean, do. You didn't find out until you got here? I didn't find out until like a month after I got here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty. That is a punch in the gut. It is a punch in the gut. You know, um, I was I was pretty shocked. Yeah. But kind of the same thing. Like I didn't consider an alternative. Okay, this is what it is. Let's go. Let's go do something. Um, so that's how I ended up at TCC. Okay. And I was young. I was seventeen. First day of college. Just still a smart ass with no filter and uh so basically you now only at 17 oh you basically (laughs) less filtered um i had a certain expectation of how hard college was going to be having come out of bishop kenny right they really prided themselves in this college track and you know and i and i excelled at math my first class is you know college algebra which was you know this boogeyman and oh you know ooh. I struggled with it, to be honest. Yeah, I but didn't. You didn't. I, had, I, I didn't. You're like, what is this? The guy, yeah, within three minutes of the first day, this smart-ass 17-year-old raises his hand and is like, can I go ahead and just take the final if it's going to be like this? Oh. <laughs> like, what I'm a sure, jerk. I'm sure that made you a favorite. It, yeah, it did. I mean, I, I did okay in the class, but I, I, yeah. I look back on that not with pride, but like, right, with sure. understanding that, like, come on, dude, you, yeah. you were raised to be a little more gracious than that and – but it just reflecting on it, it was. I'm sure there was some frustration definitely, in that. Definitely, yeah. I was like, but two months ago, I was flying F-14s. You know, <laughs> like right. I was going to be playing volleyball on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to have a cool name. I that was coming. Yeah, yeah. I it was set up. Rhino. Rhino. Perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. Um, so yeah, I was, you know, I I struggled with that, and it it, it made being at TCC difficult for me. Hmm. I, I didn't I didn't shy away from the other things that go on in Tallahassee other than academic pursuits. You know, so I was I was uh Tennessee Street. Tennessee Street. You the know, old Tennessee and others, Street. The old old school. <clears throat> right. You know, I was definitely helping uh, Tallahassee earn its reputation as a fun place to be in college. Right. Um so you did not stay on track academically? Not not very well at all. And then um you struggled with money, like, you know, I mean I didn't have scholarships, I didn't have financial aid or prepaid or anything like that. So I ended up working at a convenience store um, that was right behind the apartment, right where Pensacola and Jefferson come together. Mm-hmm. The, the building's still there. Like people parked there on game day. It used to be a junior food store. Right. And I worked the 11 at night till 7 in the morning shift. Wow. You know, so it'd be like, all right, going to do my homework and then going to go pull an eight-hour shift till 7 in the morning and then get up and make that 8 o'clock class. It was brutal, you know, and I was – Working at a restaurant on on Tennessee Street, a couple shifts during lunch when I didn't have class, so it was tough. You know, working a stupid job. I mean, it was fun. Believe me, working in a convenience store. If you want to, you know, learn about meet some all, interesting meet people. some interesting people, um, especially that graveyard shift. Yeah, there was you know there, there was a lot that came out of that. It was Did you ever fun. get threatened or held up or anything? No, no, man. I would have. Uh, I, I felt pretty secure because it was right there on the edge of campus. And it was also where a number of uh, the zones that the TPD work in. So, so there would be police officers all the time. Yeah. So it took you a few years to, to, it to took get me, through. It, it did. You know, like it, um, so I was already kind of tail spinning a little bit and lost my way and didn't really know what I was doing. And then um, in my sophomore year, my mom passed away. Mm-hmm. 
So I was 19. You know, I probably used that as an excuse to lose a little interest in, you know, having any kind of drive for what I was going to do and, and just kind of was living a day-to-day existence, a little lost. And Yeah, I mean, that's a yeah. pretty brutal blow. It was, it was tough. Um, I have a great family who, you know, I knew still loved me, but it was, you know, it was, she was my rock and what I'd grown up with. And right. um, while I was still trying to figure out what I was going to do, kind of um, that tailspin continued a little bit. Okay. So like semesters on, semesters off kind of thing? Yeah, basically, okay. you know, definitely um, on or off or like I would sign up and wouldn't go to class or would get, you know, would get behind or whatever it was. I, you know, I, I struggled. And but the community college is a little more forgiving in that than, than oh, a university God. would be. De- definitely, you know, yeah. and I'm still, uh, I, I still talk about it, that I'm grateful that TCC had the patience for me to, you know, to get my act together. Um, you know, I did have to work full time to support myself and, um, you know, so I could only go to school in the margins. So it took, you know, it took me a while. Um, but they were never like, hey, you're taking up somebody else's spot. You're going to need to you're gonna need to move up or move out. They, right. You know, you were able to compete at your pace or complete at your pace. And, um, you know, thank God for it. It always kept me at least moving forward, you know, that I never became completely unruttered. And, um, right. But being able to stay enrolled at TCC and continue on and, and finally get my AA, something I was pretty proud of. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Eight years later, but, <laughs> but still, I mean, that's it's a perfect example of everybody's path. I mean, you you earned your way, fought through the stuff you had to get through. You know, took some major blows along the way, and you you finished it. And yeah. and they they were accommod- You know, TCC was accommodating, understood, helped you, but you still you still did it. Yeah, you know, and I mean, a lot of people have overcome a lot more, and I can look back and see that a lot of the roadblocks that I put down. Yeah. You, or that were I mean, in front of me were yeah, ones that I'm I laid. I'm not saying none of it was me. self-inflicted. <laughs> yeah, the majority ultimately was. But, right. you know, we learned from our mistakes. And, sure. You know, so I don't I don't shy away from it. You know, that I know that there were bad breaks and there were bad choices. And some things were beyond my control and some things weren't. But, um, you know, we all have a past. And it doesn't define who we are, but it gives us opportunities to redefine right. who we want to become. Absolutely. You know, so now I look at it and I'm like, here was the smart ass disrespecting a teacher on his first day of school. And now I've been provided the opportunity as a TCC grad to help raise money for scholarships so that other people won't have to face the same kind of challenges. And, you know, that's pretty dang rewarding that, you know, now I work with the foundation as a board member and help to make sure that all these other students that are on scholarship can fulfill their dreams without having so many challenges in front of them. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty awesome. And without those challenges, there wouldn't be the rewards. So. Right. Well, let's get, I was going to get into this later, but let's, this is a good time to talk about it since we're talking about TCC. I mean, you're not only grateful for the opportunity, but you've paid it back in big ways. Um, not only, um, you know, working with the foundation, you were just named, you know, just honored as a, as a new member of the TCC Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, that's, and, um, that's crazy. You know, so the administration, you know, recognizes and appreciates what you've given back. So tell me what that what that means to you to be honored in that way and in your relationship with TCC over the years. Yeah, that was uh that was something pretty special and uh and I don't think I'd fully processed how big of a deal that was until I was actually at the Hall of Fame ceremony and I'm 
looking around and hear all of these great people that are being inducted with me. And, um, you know, from the mayor to a Supreme Court judge to Debbie Leonard, a fabulous accountant, to, to Rick Carney. I mean, like Chief Gaines. There was all these amazing people. And like we talked about, I was in my own way, I was proud that I knew that I'd overcome challenges to graduate. So I've, I've always been proud of being a graduate of TCC. And, and it was like they turned back around and said, you know, Danny, we're proud that you're a graduate of TCC and that success manifests itself in a lot of different ways. And to be able to be recognized that like your form of success is inspirational and is something worthy of note, um, it, it meant a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, that it's been cool. I was, I was lucky enough to be able to bring my sons and, you know, they know it at, as fifth and seventh graders, some of the challenges that I had in life and some of the, and I admit to them that I made bad choices and didn't have to have all the challenges. Some were self-inflicted, but they knew that I persevered and, uh, and for them to be able to be there with me along with my wife, Tracy, yeah. um, that was a big deal. And I could see the, the pride in their faces. They're like, wow, man, dad, you know, that's pretty cool. Right. That's my dad. Um, so just to be able to inspire them and to be able to say, hey, I'm dedicated to helping you guys not have to face the same challenges I did, either external or self-inflicted, um, and being able to help other people go through TCC, it's pretty awesome. You know, that I know that there are people who I'll never meet, who have nothing to offer to me, you know, directly. I don't get anything back out of it. But that that's somewhat of a legacy of, of giving, mm-hmm. you know, of paying forward. It's pretty great. For TCC to have been one of the outlets for that, it's, it's pretty cool that yeah. it has come full circle. And um, President Murdaugh has been, you know, very gracious and supportive. And TCC Foundation with Heather Mitchell, again, providing me an opportunity to serve and saying, hey, Danny, we think our organization would be good with your voice at the table. Uh, you know, hey, maybe people want to hear what I have to say. You know, maybe there's some value to it. And, right. And my voice in a conversation can, you know. Help come to something that's that's positive for for our community, for the school, and for these students that are you know that are on scholarship and who've got their whole life in front of them. You know, with the springboard that TCC can provide. You know, I said I think that's an opportunity to make a lasting impact and to have kind of formed a a basis for twenty years from now other chapters that I could say who was Danny Schreiner would you know right. Yeah, I mean, that's important. And also, I think, really speaks to the value of TCC, a community college in our in our town, in our city, is because not everybody has a typical high school to college experience or, you know, they have to work or they, they make mistakes or whatever the situation is. There is a place for those people to get a degree or get a certificate or get, you know, post-secondary education. And that's that's the role it has in the community, and a lot of a lot of people benefit from that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the the thing is, is that all work is worthy of dignity. Okay. All careers are an opportunity to serve your family, serve your community, to uh, to grow as a person, to support the people around you and in your life. And very often, we looked at anything that wasn't a corporate career track as the other. Right. Well, you know, the uh, you know that work needs to get done, but no, no, no. That, but don't aspire to that. But don't aspire right. to that. Where, you know, there's a lot of. I mean, I guess there's something to be said for making a lot of money, but there's 
a lot of people that aren't happy and aren't fulfilled that are doing that in some kind of corporate track sure. that wish that they'd gotten what you might call a real job. Um, but but so often we don't dignify that work. Well, congratulations on the honor. That's that's a very cool thing. It, you know, it, it was. I tried to downplay it, but like I said, in the moment I was pretty blown away and I, and I remained very honored to have been considered – yeah, Hall of Fame worthy. You know, like that's pretty. It's pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. That's awesome. All right. So, also during your time at TCC, you started working in the apparel business in I did. some form. So, tell tell me how that got started. Okay. How, so I started. You said I'm a screen printer. I um, I was living over in that in that neighborhood between Pensacola and St. Augustine Street, and very bohemian back in the day. Needed a job and had a buddy that worked at a t-shirt place that was on Gain Street. Hey, you know, we had some people leave. You need a job. And and I ended up starting at this at this t-shirt shop over there called Mr. T's. Yeah. Um, little bit of memory seeped in there. Yeah, a little bit. Well, you know, you learn lessons from the good and the bad. Sure. And the way those guys ran their business has certainly influenced the way I do in the opposite. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, – but – had an affinity for the work and really liked the the product that we were making, you know, just the process of printing T-shirts. It was fascinating. It's, I mean, uh, screen printing is really one of the coolest things to watch. It, it really is. Yeah. It's so visually appealing um, that it was, it was ironic because I started thinking it was really from that time that I wasn't going to be in the Navy until I got the job at Mr. T's after many jobs here locally. That was the first time I started to be like, hey, this looks like a future. So how like, long of a period was that? So I started working at Mr. T's before we won the national championship with Charlie Wards. That'd be 93. That was 93. The 93 right. champion. So yeah, 93, Auburn had undefeated season. And I remember all those T-shirts. So I was like, oh, I could, you know, if I can do this, well, you know, they print T-shirts in Asheville and they print T-shirts in Austin and maybe I could go. If I wanted to go anywhere, this this could take me anywhere. You right. know, you could go real far with this. Uh, so I worked there for a while and moved to another job. Worked at a um, at a place that was still screen printing, but it wasn't apparel. So we did um, national wildlife refuges. I was screen printing signs and posters and hmm. pieces of metal and glass and things like this for interpretive displays or you know the the birds of prey that are next <laughs> to this pond or. Creamer's Dairy in Fairbanks, Alaska, and the you know the right. goose migration. It was really neat work. It was the same process, but just now passing ink through a screen onto metal hmm. instead of onto fabric. Then was working at Trophy Shop, Davis Trophies, yeah, and that got bought by Sam Varn, who owned uh, Tallahassee Engraving and Awards. Now awards for you. So he was a great boss. Loved working for him. It was a whole different business environment and things were going good there. But in the summer of 97, I had an opportunity. I got a call from this guy that had been my production manager all the way back when I started in 93. Hey, there's this business. Maybe we can look at it. This guy, he, you know, he's looking to maybe sell his little screen print shop and promotional products company. Let's do it. So um, left awards for you, told Sam I was going to start my own company and and he was super supportive. He was, you know, a great advocate from day one. Right. We've remained friends, and he's been a, a mentor of mine and, and 
support system of mine ever since, all the way back from 97. But we looked at at, uh, at buying that company. It just wasn't going to work out. The guy it was a mess. And um, I didn't know much about business, but I knew don't, don't buy a business from a guy that's broke. Uh, <laughs> That right. wants you to take care of his. Yeah, there might be a reason, and right. he then he wants you to take care of all the bills that he owes. No, 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 no. So we broke off from that and went over, and in November of '97, started our own company. We rented a warehouse, ironically on Gain Street, exactly next to next door to where I'd started screen printing. Right. So. Here I was thinking, oh, this business can take me far. It literally took me across the parking lot. <laughs> I was like, I, I think I had bigger aspirations. Yeah. But um, So that was November of 97. Graduated TCC in December. Right. <laughs> you know? There you go. So, so was, what was the business called at that time? It was point? called PDTs. His name was Pete and Danny. Mm-hmm. So it's just PDTs. It had a little ring to it. We were kind of hustling. He was so funny. I say, oh, he was older. Well, he was younger than I am now. Right. <laughs> you know, like but that was an old guy. He was 45, but he was an old guy in 97. Right. So who'd you and sell t-shirts to? Oh, uh, everybody. You know, whoever we could. It was when you're young and dumb, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a hustler's business. So, you know, whoever we could scrape up. Both of us had acumen at printing t-shirts, but not like business knowledge. So I learned all that on the fly. Oh, yeah, QuickBooks, I'll figure this out. Um, but I was able to put together a few a few things that were beneficial. One, that company, Mr. T's, had grown really large at the time, and they didn't want to work with any local customers that ordered less than 500 shirts. So I paid them a referral fee. And if people are like, hey, I need 144 more shirts for my plumbing company, they're like, well, you can call Danny. He's got the artwork. And so we had nice. like their files from, oh, these are they like the pocket tee, 50-50, and here's the artwork and the print. And so they basically – Spoon-fed us all the work that we needed. That helped. And then we started – because we were good at printing, we started looking at other shops that sometimes struggled with the production side. And there were companies that were really good at design or really good at selling or had great connections at the university. But they couldn't turn the presses and get the shirts out. And we were able to do that. So started forming some partnerships. There There was a company that had all of that in town, the connections, the university the design, couldn't print, couldn't get anything out. They didn't have the production side. So we basically acquired all of their equipment and that kind of started us on that equipment growth because we just had little handhelds. Now we were able to bring in some automatic equipment, bigger dryers and start to be able to do more production and unburden this guy from trying to produce and all he had to do was worry about selling. And that relationship and that model has worked well for us where we're always selling to local businesses and fraternities and sororities and organizations and campuses and local schools and all of that locally. But we also have partnerships, again, started from day one where we would be the production side quietly doing the production for somebody else that was doing the sales. Right. And we still have a, a good customer base where we're just a third-party manufacturer. The production house for We're it. the production house. We do fulfillment um, and – People so you do see all somebody, of these, you package it up, mail it out, do the whole thing. Mail it out. Somebody so else's customer boxes, doesn't know anything. Never heard of us. Right. Thinks it's, it's coming from whatever. New York, Philadelphia, Virginia, wherever. Um, we do that locally and we do it with some national clients as well. Right. So that support system has always been kind of part of what we do. 
Hey, everybody. Just a quick reminder that this episode is brought to you by Fiori Communications. Just like people, every business has a story to tell, and we've been helping our clients tell their story since 2001, because who you are as a company is just as important as what you do. To learn more about how telling your story can make a difference in your business, visit FioriCommunications.com. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. At this point, like you said, you had to learn QuickBooks, dealing with vendors, suppliers, um, everything related to running the business. Everything. You had to learn all that as it was happening. Yeah, yeah. So how did that go? (laughs) You know, how did that go? What could possibly go wrong? I mean, I wish that I was somebody that did journals, you know, and had written it all down because some of the stories are just crazy. A lot of challenges, you know, like – have learned a lot by making a lot of mistakes and recovering. Um, I mean, even stuff like cash flow, right? Because you're paying money up front and people can take a while to pay. Well, you know, the first mistake I made was having a partner. (laughs) You know, so right right off the bat, if I knew anything about business, uh, Dave Ramsey says partnership is the only ship that won't sail. (laughs) Um, The exception being when your partner's with your wife. Yes. that's got its own challenges, but at least we know, right. you know, that um, spouses are not included yeah. in the partner discussion. So there were problems with the partnership, which dissolved after about two years. Okay. Um, cash flow, vendors, net 30. What's a bank reconciliation? <laughs> <laughs> minor details like yeah, that. Yeah, m- minor details like that to um, not understanding the difference. Between being a leader and being a boss, 25, 26, 27, and people are working for me, um, I, I didn't – That's hard at any age. It's, it's, it's hard. It, it is. And, and it's an important differentiation between having the power to tell somebody what to do or having the leadership to get other people to do what the, what's for the greater good. And it's, you know, that's a learned skill and I'm still learning. Um, but I know a heck of a lot more about it now than I did, sure. You know, b- back then. Um, so, all the mistakes you could make. Sometimes felt ashamed about those mistakes. Bookkeeper that's stealing money, partner that broke down. You know, right. all these sorts of things. Until I started being able to have friends in business through, like through Rotary or through the Chamber of Commerce, and you get into conversations where you realize, well. Not one of the mistakes that I made was original. Right. Okay, like it happens. Um, and you were working on things like university licensing, that kind of stuff at this point? Oh, my goodness, yeah. That At a place like FSU, it's very important. You know, they've got a very strong brand and a lot invested in making sure that, you know, not just does that brand stay strong, but it also represents the values of actual people who we're honored to represent. You know, it's – it's not like you can piss off the alligators. They don't care. They're reptiles. But, you know, when we've got the relationship with an actual group of people in a history and pride, we need to make sure that what we produce right. is in line with the values of the it's university. It's respectful of that. Right? It's respectful. And so they take it very seriously. So when did the company evolve into full press apparel, which your company is known as now? Well, that's a two-part question. When um, when the partnership dissolved, it wasn't Pete and Danny T's anymore. We needed a new name, and we went through a process um, in 99 of renaming the company and kind of 
was the writing things down on the pad. And ultimately, my art director at the time, Blake, came up with the idea. It's got sporty connotations. It's apparel. And, you know, out of all those names, we liked it. It stuck. And it's been what it's been. But the real evolution and the beginning of the fulfillment of what the company has become was when my wife was looking for a job. She was, she'd been the manager at Bill's bookstore and they were a great company to work for. But um, after they got bought by the Nebraska book company, it didn't have the same family feel because it wasn't a family company right, anymore. Right. Um, and she was weighing her opportunities and I proposed that she be my business partner. It was important and remains important that those, those words matter. Like, would you come be my business partner? Not, I'd like to hire you. Completely different dynamic, and um, and that's what we've become. We got advice from from other people in business that we knew that were husbands and wives that ran their companies together, um, including going back to Sam. Right. Uh, he and his wife Nancy were in similar situations, and and so, anyways, we got the best advice that we could. We've done the best that we can to differentiate our roles in the company and to both be flexible with that as we've grown as people. But so that was 2006. And so if you looked at, you know, a trajectory of our company, you can, you can really see where things have been going well. Um, they started getting better when I met her <laughs> <laughs> and they started going much better when she came on and brought like that ying to my yang. Right. Um, well, I just wanted to ask you, how did, how did that allow you to concentrate on what you're good at and then bring her strengths into the company to take it to another level with what, what she's good at? Well, for one, she's just a natural force. So if something has to get done, I can have a tendency to be a little more deliberative instead of, and she's, and she's a go-getter. So she brings this, just this energy and this can do like we're going to get this done. Um, Was it hard for you to give up any of the control at first? Yeah. Yeah, you know, because I'm a micromanager. You know, I, I like to be in everything. I like to push, and there's a a great deal of acceptance that you have to have. You know, when you started this little company and you right. were the everything, and you were the salesman and the screen washer, and you know, paying the bills and you know, doing yeah. everything. And and uh, and the best part of what we do, in my opinion, of our industry and of what our company is about. It's that connection to other people. It's that order to order. Um, you know, like we've never once done a small order, literally, because everything that we've ever made is important to the people that were, you know, that are buying it from us. Right. So if it's ten shirts for your bachelorette party, well, this is your bachelorette party, and we're playing a small part in that. You know, but it's a big deal to you. Talk to a mother who's who lost their child, teenager killed by gun violence. We hear a lot about that. Well, I've sat across from that mother and the tears of joy when she got the t-shirts that we made. You know, it's like on the one hand, like, man, you're making something that's such a sad event. But then to see the love and the outpouring of emotions when they see these shirts and realize, well, you didn't didn't cause the event, but you were part of a moment of love and of joy. It's, you know, that's pretty fulfilling. You yeah. know, your, your buckets fill up pretty quickly like that. And so being connected to so many different things, it was, you know, it's, it's pretty awesome. And it's very rewarding. And I, I like that across the table. Like I, I like that connection with sure. people. I like talking about what's going on. 
I love that people wear the shirts that we make. When I was dating my wife, we started a habit. We would go out and anywhere we went, if I saw somebody wearing a T-shirt we made, I would just say, quota, give her a little nod. <laughs> and um, it's still to this day we see it. So if we go somewhere, um, quota, somebody's wearing our, you know, right. it's still feeling connected to that. I, I, you know, I love that feeling. So, so you met Tracy through Bill's Bookstore? So, no, I met Tracy. This, this is a, a romantic story, really. I, okay. All right, not now. my wheelhouse. Okay. So this is, <laughs> you know, like, is it time for Christmas movies? Because it could be one. This like, is it. Yes. Hallmark, if you're listening. Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan, story, starring in the history of how Danny and Tracy met. So I started the company in 97. We're down there on Gaines Street. Um, one of our first clients from the university was a sorority. And one of the girls that I met through this very first order, I mean, I'm talking November of 97, uh, Christina, she, which it's not so creepy. I was 25 then, you know, right. 26. <laughs> um, she and I became friends. She came in with her friend Karen to check the proof because we didn't email back then. Right. You know, like, okay, your proof is done. You can come check it out. Here's a printed piece of paper. Yeah. Not pull this up on your phone. So she came back to approve the design and she and I just ended up becoming friends and um, all through her years in college and she stopped being in the sorority, but we remained friends. So I walk into Christina's graduation party, August 2000, and boom, lightning strikes. There she was. Her best friend from high school who had been coming up to Tallahassee during her college years, but we never crossed paths, met at her graduation party. And and it was a uh, summer graduation. I think the ceremony was in the morning. We were together during the afternoon. And then I went home. Yeah, it was good meeting y'all. And Christina calls me later. Hey, come out. We're going to the strip. I was like, oh, yeah, we'll see. Which is, you know, Danny code for Code for it. No, <laughs> not, not, not happening at all. And she goes, well, Tracy was hoping you'd come out. I was like, I'll see you in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, hauled ass down there. And, uh, so you knew you you said lightning bolt. It was never even a choice. Like, um, wow, yeah, lightning bolt. Uh, now, if I asked her, would she say the same thing? <laughs> She'd be like, I don't know. I've been drinking pretty heavily that day. <laughs> I sort of noticed. <laughs> no, it. she. Um, yeah, she would. It was you know that's awesome. Yeah, it was it was pretty special. And so again, start printing T-shirts. Who knew it's going right. to take me everywhere? It took me, you know, across the parking lot and opened up. Un, you know, unbelievable possibilities for where my life was going to go from that day. So you talked about what Tracy did to improve the business and the impact she had there. What impact did she have on you as a person? <laughs> where do you start? I mean, one, it was just an exponential growth of that notion of trying to be able to see what I could become. You know, what kind of man do you really want to be? What kind of life do you really want to live? Um, instead of passively rolling with the punches, start to take a little bit more ownership of my life. Um, you know, if you're going to have a certain set of set of values, how do you manifest that in your behavior? Right. And she calls me out if I'm, you know, continuing to not live up to what I say or the own standards I set for myself, you know, which is awesome. She challenges me in so many ways to, again, see how I can better fulfill what I expect out of my own life. 
she's such a terrific mother too that the challenges that anybody has, and I mean, you know, way more than I do having six, and we, you know, we have two, but just seeing how she's able to balance between being a professional business owner, a manager of people, somebody that also serves the community. Well, tell me about Aiden and Brendan. All right. So my boys, they're awesome. Um, again, going back to the, you know, the, the romantic story, Tracy put in her, we, we knew we were going to be partners. She goes to the upper level. She was a Nebraska book company and goes to her supervisor and puts in her two week notice. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to go do this. It's on right. Friday. Right. We've been through, um, like, like many people are some challenges of getting pregnant and, she goes and she puts in her notice on a Friday, tells him, hey, I'm, you know, I'm leaving two weeks. She wakes up Monday, feels a little bit different, takes a test, and is pregnant. <laughs> you know, and it, so it's like really feeling like the blessings of the universe and, yeah. you know, God's leading us. So she's right coming to path. work with you So she's, she's going to come work to me and pregnant. All at the same time. All at the same time. So – um, That's pretty awesome. It, it, you know, it really was. It was like, right. man, how how perfect is this? We built a nursery off of her office. So uh, when Aiden was born and then when Brendan was born, they both came. I mean, she was back to work right away and there's the babies and, you know, doing what she needed to do. But, that you know, that was a great joy and it was awesome to be able to bond with them and kind of further cement our feelings as a family business. Yeah. You know, that first and foremost, it's – it exists to support our family, but it does that by operating like a family. Well, tell me, I mean, by more than just you and Tracy, you involve the boys in aspects of the company, right? I mean, well, they're, yeah, they, I mean, they're there a they lot. They see things, they, yeah, they're, and they're they, part you, of it. They're, they're part of it. They're, they're in the shop all the time. They know our employees, our employees know them. They know the value of work. And if they come down, they, they have to go out and work in the shop. Um, they, they have aspirations one day to, take over the company. That would be great. What a, you know, yeah. like what a legacy to have built something that's worthy of supporting multi-generations of our family. Sure. Um, that'd be great. But they're, you know, they're super smart, bright kids. Um, they like playing sports. We have a lacrosse tournament this weekend. They really like lacrosse. It's a good balance between athleticism and still being able to Strap on some pads and hit people. Hit people. You yeah. know, like, here's a stick, boy. Go hit that other kid. <laughs> you know, what's not to love about that? Right. Um, and they're intellectually curious. And because they've grown up in business and they hear the things that we talk about at the dinner table, they see the challenges that we have. I think it it gives them a perspective that, that not a lot of other people do. Right. Okay. Before we leave the business part, I do need to hear about your stories involving Creed and your your um, <laughs> your entree into the world of rock and roll. All right, so um, so yeah, we we worked with a, a lot of bands. The most famous band that we worked with back in the day was Creed. That they were formed here in Tallahassee. Jeff Hansen was their manager, and within that universe there was a guy that was printing their t-shirts and this is still when they're, you know, playing at Floyd's and getting in a van and going down to Gainesville and Tampa or, you know, wherever, having Athens and coming back. And this guy, like many others really struggled to get their work done as they were kind of growing and getting, uh, getting some traction. 
And one of the other people in that in that world knew me and we had done work before. And he's like, hey, I got this band. They need a thousand shirts printed. They're leaving on Sunday. It's Thursday night. Wow. Okay. I was like, well, do you have the shirts? And fortunately, the other guy had, had the shirts, but couldn't get them printed. So like, yeah, we got the shirts. I was like, oh, we'll get them done. No problem. Bring it in. And, you know, they came Sunday. We load up the trailer that's behind the van because they're going on a little mini tour and really kind of scooped the business from that. Um, they became, you know, a huge sensation back in the day. They were hugely popular. Oh, yeah. You know, now they're like on the cover of Rolling Stone and they're touring and and it just grew to where now the semi-trucks are coming and we're loading pallets of T-shirts and, you know, posters and, and, you know, little lapel pins or whatever else people were doing. They would have stuff shipped from all over and we would load it up. And I mean, they, you know, they were huge. They moved down to Orlando and then they were able to form a merch company that they were selling to a lot of other rock bands. So now there's other like three doors down and fuel and seven dust and all these other companies that are getting their tour fulfillment and we're just throwing it all off. Wow. It was, you know, it was really cool. Um, late night library was still next to us. And there was a time that um, they were going to do a concert in the parking lot and at the big bands and seven dust was the, was the headliner. And X101.5 was like, Hey, can we do a live broadcast from your office? And, you know, it was all kind of a thing. Cause we were the, the east side of the yeah, right uh, the concert venue now. And so Seven Dust comes in. They're going to be doing a live interview with X101.5. And we're printing an order of their shirts <laughs> and have like one hung up on the wall as a sample. And they're like, we're like, oops, yeah, you weren't, <laughs> you know, like, because we ship it to through this other right. third-party company. You know, but so here's this big band. So they had no idea. They had no idea. They never heard of us. They're just doing a live interview no, we, before they're going on a stage. <laughs> and it's like, well, damn, there's, you know. <laughs> that's my shirt. That was our shirt. Um, so did that last for a couple years or something? Lasted until they broke up. And yeah. I didn't want to leave without touching yeah. on that part because that, that's a cool part of the story. Yeah, you know, it was cool. And it was, you know, the same sort of thing. I, I've got a, you know, one of those platinum record things with my name on it and, not everybody has that. Not everybody has that. And it was cool that like that opportunity was there. We were able to seize on it. I had no idea how we were going to get that job done. But I just knew yes was a better answer than no. <laughs> you know, yeah. No guarantees the outcome. If you say no, you can guarantee the outcome. But yes gave us an opportunity and it, you know, it was it was fun. All right. So I also know that you've been active in Sunrise Rotary Club for a long time. Yep. And um, what is it about Rotary and Sunrise and that being involved? I know you're busy. That takes time to be involved in a civic organization like that. What is it about Rotary and Sunrise that, that keeps you engaged and, and makes you want to be a part of that? I mean, first and foremost, in Sunrise Rotary, it's the relationships. It's the people that are there. Um, importantly for me, from the very beginning, there were no heirs. Nobody was like, oh, you print T-shirts? Well, you know, this is a rotary club. We're only for the lawyers and the doctors and the bankers. It was 180 degrees different than that. The lawyers and the doctors and the bankers are just like everybody else. And um, if we're working on a service project or we're drinking beers and shooting pool at a fellowship event after hours, nobody in that club kind of acts in that way that, that, that a club like that could have a tendency to be. So right off the bat, it was a welcoming atmosphere. 
I never would have gone if it wasn't for Tracy. I had a buddy that was trying to get me to go. Come, great. So, oh yeah, we'll see. <laughs> you know, it was right, right back to that. Oh, you're gonna meet. Oh, the meeting yeah. starts at seven thirty. Sounds great. <laughs> let me, uh, you know, let I'll me let right you know about man. that. And you know, finally, she's like, just, just go, check it out. And so I used to do like the reverse. I would dress up in my rotary clothes. I'd put on a shirt and tie and khakis. <laughs> you, you know, I'd go down and be like. Here I am. What's going on, guys? Um, and then I'd go to work and put on like shorts and a polo, right? And because I have to work, and I who can right. work in this stuff? Um, but you know, I quickly learned that I didn't have to do that. And that same idea that I had from growing up and seeing the work that my did, my mom did, and how her coworkers would treat me and my brother, which was you know always with respect and like. They weren't like, oh, why does this woman have to bring her kids to pick and save? It was, hey, come on in, man. You want to check out the TVs or I'll throw the football with you for a little bit in the toy aisle. That work can be dignifying. And right from the beginning, the club dignified the work that I did. You know, I'm a blue collar guy. I'm sitting next to a judge or next to a doctor. Never, never. Wait, let me stop you. Let me ask you yeah. that. Even though you own your own business. That is very successful, has impact on the community. You know, it, you employ people, you give other people jobs. You still consider yourself a blue collar guy. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm interested in that. Why 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 do you identify more as the screen printer than the business owner? That's an interesting question. I you know maybe I hadn't thought deeply about it. You know, one because I identify with the work that I do, that the process of creation. That when I first started in screen printing, it was setting up technically these big machines, and you have to know the parameters and the settings to get your wanted outcome. But in that trade, as my skills grew, what I was able to do physically with my hands had a more direct effect on the outcome. And so every item that I made was directly created by my hand, you know, from making sure the art was done right to the screens being prepared. Sure. To, you know, to everything. So that process of creation, I, I felt very connected. You know, I recognized the art. I recognized the science. I recognized the business. And they all kind of came together. Right. When I started the company, in a macro sense, the business has somewhat been the same thing. Okay. That I'm not physically touching each shirt. I'm not writing up each order. But the entire orchestra of the process and now 60-plus people all working together is still an outcome of that creative process. It's still the art coming together with the science, trying to do good business. So it's still, I think, that direct connection to that creative aspect. It's just now the outcome is this entity that does this and does that. And um, I just wonder, not so much, I mean, I guess more in the area of when you're in with the doctors and lawyers and bankers and all that, that... You know, I mean, business owners, nothing to sneeze at. That's, that's. Oh, okay. That part, I, but I don't, I don't feel the same way about myself that I used to. That mm -hmm. what needed to change wasn't the way the bankers felt about so how you felt somebody about that, yourself. It's how I recognized the value in, in my Rotary Club specifically. Well, um, that's been validated over and over and over again. So it's having people in organizations like Rotary. Or in the Chamber of Commerce, who obviously, you know, like 
the big businesses and the huge impacts and the the ribbon cuttings that make the the news are, are big to them and should should be. But there's also been that reinforcing respect for all aspects of the community and all aspects of the economy. And that, yeah, you know, like there's got to be somebody that's employing a thousand people. Right. But there's somebody that's got to be able to address those thousand people. Sure. And those jobs matter and those people shop at the grocery stores and their kids play Little League too. So um, so it's more been about my own change, uh, the perception of what I do that I didn't – I don't – not embarrassed. That's never been the word. But lesser maybe yeah. um, was a feeling that I allowed into myself, self-doubt from – Like you didn't belong in some way. You know, I, I didn't belong or I hadn't accomplished. Um, yeah, I, I wish that I knew then what I knew now. If, if I had it to do over again, I'd be down in front, first row, keeping my mouth shut, taking notes, getting A's, and hammering that degree out and I'd gotten a, a four-year degree in three and a half years. Right. So it's, um, you know, again, just trying to not allow my own self-doubt, which is, you know, it's always constant. I mean, you're an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur, you own a business, it can go away like that. Right. So I don't lose that hunger. That's I think that's another part of it, or that you know that f- scared dog in the corner. Sure. That's like, you know, hey, are they coming? Are they out for me? You right. know, it's a, it's a, it's tough to be in business. Right. It's tough to be competitive like that. But I don't, you know, I don't feel like I need to apologize for what we've built. And nobody ever else but me made me feel that way. Right. So it's never anything external. But Rotary has been a support system for that on the one hand and then also an avenue to, to serve others. And again, talk about filling up your bucket. Well, that, tell me about that. What, what are your favorite service opportunities or things you've experienced through, through Rotary? Uh, Rotary Youth Camp, number one, top of the list without question, that uh, started by, by Charlie Rockwood, a Rotarian in a different club here. Uh, the Rotary Youth Camp has for 25 years served kids with special needs and provided a no-cost summer camp sleepover week-long experience for dozens of kids every summer. These are kids who generally have no opportunity to do anything like this and very, very often spend the first night in their life away from their parents as a camper at this camp, hmm. which also means the flip side of that coin. This is the first night the parents have not had their – you know their right. kid with them since they were born. The and, respite from that responsibility. Yeah, and the opportunity to grow and to, to trust somebody else to look after your kid or for the kid to grow and have confidence in themselves and to be around other kids yeah. um, with a broad range of needs because it's, you know, it's, it's not narrow when you're talking about kids with special needs. But our club, a lot of the clubs, in, in addition to – supporting it financially, we go out and we serve dinner every year. And so being able to go out and to physically go through the process of serving somebody else is important and putting somebody else's meal in front of them and seeing them light up with the entertainment that we bring or just being able to talk to the kids and see what they're doing and to, again, broaden my own horizon that any hesitation or fear or in, in not fear like, oh, am I going to be scared, but am I going to say the wrong thing? Or how do you talk to somebody that's different? Goes away pretty quickly when you just realize you're talking to a kid. And um, to have that opportunity to, 
to have my own perspective changed about how easy it is to just treat kids like kids. We've got a ramp build this weekend. So there's a veteran that needs a ramp to his house, and his house isn't accessible right now. It's a challenge just to get into his house. Again, this guy's a complete stranger. There's there's no external reward for helping this guy. But if you go down, the feeling of knowing that in a small way, but a small way every day that this guy wants to get into his house, it's going to be different because that ramp that won't exist Saturday morning is there when he goes to bed Saturday night. You know, you've changed, again, in a small way, but that repeats itself over and over and over again. Yeah. I mean, that's that's an awesome opportunity. Yeah. That's, you know, a great feeling. Yeah. In full disclosure, I'm also a member of yes. Sunrise Rotary Club. Don't want this to be about me, but it is pretty awesome. It, it is, it is it, pretty it, awesome. It really is awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's the heart of the people in that club are ju- is just amazing. Yeah. It's great. And um, the key is to take the work that we do seriously. But don't take ourselves too seriously. Right. Like if it's pretty accurate. <laughs> you know, like it turns out that the work is much better and the outcome is much more fulfilling because of that. Oh yeah. You know, like I'm gonna be the first guy laughing at myself and I'm gonna be doing it loudest. Right. So everybody else join in <laughs> right. because I'm having fun. Have fun, do good. Have fun, do good. Right. Okay. Um getting back to TCC during the Hall of Fame ceremony, it was said about you that Quote, you've chosen to use your business as a vehicle to serve. Yeah, so full press. I mean, you've been – I just want to run down, run these down real quick. Okay. You have been recognized as the Tallahassee Chamber of Commerce Business of the Year in 2015, multiple-time multiple winner of the Leon County Schools Partner of the Year, um, numerous Best of Tallahassee and Tally Awards. I mean, you have committed full press to be a part of the community – by giving, by finding ways to be involved. Um, it's been a huge commitment, and the community is a better place because of that. Just um, where does that come from? How did you build that into your culture, and why is that so important to you? It's been a natural fit that you know we're in a service business, and those relationships that we formed – I mean, not every business. I mean, you just kind of shrug it off. As, I, I know. I was like, I, but we not, don't do. Why doesn't everybody do it? Not, it's stupid. It's like, right? Like, I don't know. Like, I, like I, I your answer just because we should, right? Yeah. Because why wouldn't you? Yeah. The question is, why don't more people? Um, there's nothing to it, you know. Like, because when somebody comes in and they're doing something, it's important to us. So, partnering with schools, well, that's. I mean, for one, straight up, that's our our target market. You know, like that's who we sell to. So they're invested in our success. They're entrusting us with their orders. They're, you know, they're paying our bills. We don't, we don't give back. I, I always joke with Tracy, like I don't, I don't like that phrase. Like that's, hey, you give that back to him. That's his. Quit playing with this. You know, like <laughs> right. we give forward. Like um, we just found that we get a lot of return on investing in the people that are invested in us. This organization is making a difference, and we support that, and we're part of it. It's awesome. I, I don't, yeah. you know. Do you recognize your T-shirts when they're around town? Yeah, yeah. Um, not. I don't get to see every order anymore. That's a, again a natural outcome of growth. That some of that has to be strategic. Like, right. You can't be out on the floor printing every shirt, Danny. You're, <laughs> yeah, you can't yeah, be you, that you limiting. They want. They factor. don't want you to be. They don't want you to be. Right. Um, but yeah, we, you know, I I try to as much as we can, and anything that I see, still to this day. 
Right. So looking back, what is one thing or person that you'd say was changed or altered the trajectory of your life um, to this point? Well, my mom, you know, for one, what um, what life was like with her. Like I said, a lot of the challenges I recognize in retrospect, but we didn't live in the midst of it. You know, we lived a fulfilling, happy, fun-filled life. It didn't dawn on me that other people didn't shop at the round robin for consignment clothes all the time, or you know, it just yeah. it, it just was just what the way it, was. it was. Yeah, it was just the way that it was. Um, but what she taught my brother and I revolved so much more around character, consciousness, uh, graciousness was a was a big phrase of hers. Um, you know, be gracious through all things. And she also, oh my God, she pissed us off so bad because it's, you know when you're a kid. And there's a conflict and you want to be like, it's because Mrs. Palmateer is a terrible teacher or, you know, whatever. It was always, no matter, she would always have our back and then it would be just us. And she's like, what did you do wrong? What could you have done better? You know. Right. Learn from it. Where this go back to where your decision led to what happened, you know. So it always felt like, I just want you in my corner. I just want you to say that it's the other person's fault. But she would always turn it around and make us accountable. Mm-hmm. Um which I'm very grateful for. And then um, those two guys I was talking about at Bishop Kenny, uh, Captain Farley and Chief Scotes that ran the, the JROTC program, they were old, hardcore Navy, okay, like old school. So this is the late 80s. Captain Farley had been an officer in the Navy during combat during World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. Wow. Chief Scotes was in Vietnam, okay, like – These guys these, did not mess around. They were old Navy. They didn't mess around. And um, and they didn't suffer fools lightly, which made it very difficult for me being being a great fool. Um, and when I was, you know, it was the same sort of thing. When I was a freshman, I was a hard case, but those guys they helped they helped me grow a lot. Some not at the time. Some it was like this is going to come out in twenty years, but responsibility, accountability, leadership. Um, those sorts of things had a, had a lasting impact. And I wish they knew. I wish any of them knew, um, you know, how much it meant. Sucks they sometimes. Would be, they would be proud of you. Uh, you know, I hope so. I, I think about that a lot, all, all three of them. Yeah. I hope yeah. they are. Oh, I'm sure. Hey, finally, final question. Um, the name of this podcast is How I Got Here. So we've talked about how you got to this point in your life. Where do you think here might be for you in three to five years from now? All right, well, let's see, three to five years from now, I'll have a high schooler and a middle schooler. Um, one of the things in Rotary that we've become open to is Rotary Youth Exchange. We hosted a kid from Finland last year. So the world has opened up to my sons. Uh, they both have an interest in doing that. So I think it'd be great if, like, five years from now, what, you know, like, oh my God, I wonder what my son's doing over in Spain or you know, in Brazil on his exchange and the adventures that he's got. I think that our business will continue to thrive. And I think that I'd like to continue to be somebody that offers my experiences and my ability to communicate them, to help others see fulfillment in themselves. This situation notwithstanding, I I, I don't mind having a microphone from time to time. And, and, you know, you've, you've seen me speak and, and it is fun when you're, when you're expressing yourself about something you care about. And you can see the buy-in that everybody else's face has, you know, like, right. and having people 
thank me for the words that I've used. I, you know, I'd like to see if there were more opportunities in my industry to work with people that are coming up and, and starting and maybe having those same self-doubts, maybe share some of my experiences or lessons that my mistakes have taught me. I'd like to travel to a lot more places. My wife and I already like doing that. We've been to a few places, but now we've got some pretty, uh, pretty adventuresome trips on the horizon. So we're going to Finland to visit the family uh, of the exchange student that lived with us, but they advised us not to come until February when they've had a proper snow. So, you know, which is a frightening concept when you're right. talking to somebody from Finland. Yeah, I think their definition might be a little scary. Right, I, and it is a little scary. It's a little because that's pretty close to the uh, North Pole, right? We're going to we're, we're going to spend a few days above the Arctic Circle, and there's a village that I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying to pronounce. <laughs> Rovaniemi. Actually, I think that was pretty good. Okay, which is like the official Santa's village. So it's it's definitely above the Arctic Circle wow. and and way up there. Um, so I guess the t-shirt business has taking you pretty far <laughs> it, it, it has you know it's it's crazy uh, literally and figuratively it's yeah. further than i could have imagined and i have i have a great deal to be grateful for that was danny shrine a man who has consistently made the most of the opportunities and challenges in his life to have fun and do good and if you see him around town staring at your t-shirt he's just checking to see if it's one of his And chances are, it is. Thanks for listening to the show. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It really does make a difference. Thanks to my amazing staff at Fiori Communications, who pick up the slack while I'm working on these podcasts, and to Troy Bloom for composing our theme music. You can hear more of Troy's creations on Facebook and Instagram at Troy Bloom Music. To connect with the podcast or suggest a future guest, follow us on social media or email us at podcast at fioricommunications.com.